ask that you turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 128. Psalm 128, as we continue looking at the Psalms of Ascent. This is the ninth of the Psalms of Ascent we've looked at, or will look at. As you're turning there, uh, you know, people today don't like to hear about fearing God. That's just not something that people like to hear. And it's even frowned on probably by many pastors and preachers. I know it is. Because we often want to make God is love all the time. It's all about love. Uh, God accepts you just the way you are. Uh without repentance or anything else. And talking about sin is reduced to talking about mistakes. That's a mistake. Now, truthfully, sin is a mistake, but it's in a general sense. But, you know, if I was to stumble and fall up here, that's a mistake I've made, but it's not necessarily a sin. Uh, but that's how we like to make sin, and we don't like to talk about uh, fearing God, the fear of God, I think it's a major problem uh, within churches today, and so many. And before we get into our text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you that in your word, it does tell us to fear you, and as we look at this today, help us, Lord, to have a holy fear of God and to realize the joy of fearing you. And Lord, help me, your unworthy servant, as I read it and that I will effectively proclaim it today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Psalm 128, beginning in verse 1, the psalmist states, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the side of thine house. Thy children like olive plants around about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. Psalm 128 is called by many a, uh, a marriage psalm that it was possibly uh, read or sung at Jewish marriages. And it's, it would be very appropriate, by the way, reading this to be a marriage psalm. Uh, it begins in verse 1, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. That's how this psalm begins, straightforward. That one that fears God is what is blessed. The old Young's literal translation translates this, all oh, the happiness. Because the word blessed here means a happiness that comes with you. He's stating that fearing God is a blessing. 
It brings happiness and joy. And that's what I want to speak to you today on, the joy of fearing God. And we often don't equate fearing God and joy together, but that's exactly what the psalmist is stating here. Blessed is the one that feareth God. There's a blessing in fearing God. There's a joy. There is a contentment within one's soul. And he goes on to state the blessings that would come upon the family uh, of this man, uh, and the, well, the man and the woman, excuse me. Uh, the man, he will enjoy the fruit of his labor. Happy, what? Shall thou be? And I want to make it clear, this ter- the first phrase, Behold, blessed is he that feareth God, is the key to me. It, in verse 4, the key to understanding this whole passage Uh, This whole passage is a scripture that the psalmist is getting over. That those who fear God, thou shalt eat the labor of thy hands. Happy shall thou be. It shall be well with thee. Notice, the wife will be blessed like a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. He uses uh, agricultural terms here. Uh, since that was an agricultural society. Uh, Thy wife would be like a fruitful vine. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. He's describing the blessings that will come upon the man, upon his family, and upon his children to those who fear God. And then he reemphasizes it in verse 4, Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. Now, let me put a note here, just a a warning. There are some people today who will take all this out of context, teach a health and wealth gospel. And that's not what the psalmist is doing. He's stating a general blessing upon those who fear God. Not meaning that, you know, you're going to become a millionaire and a lot of other stuff. Uh, Remember, all Scripture has to be put into context, and that's what he's stating here. There's a blessing upon people who fear God. Uh, And then he uh, states in verses 5 and 6, he basically closes out the psalm with really kind of a benediction, uh, saying the Lord will bless thee out of Zion. He'll bless thee. You'll see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And again, you'll see your children's children. Peace upon Israel. This is a general blessing that he's giving upon all those who fear God. So we see that the main theme here is that God will bless those who fear him. Now this does not mean everything in life is going to go great for you all the time. That is not the meaning. And matter of fact, if you read the complete Psalms, we know that. I mean, read Psalm 88. It's a pretty dark Psalm. But he's stating that the overall, God will bless those who fear him. Now, that's, this leads to some questions that we need to ask when he's stating this and emphasizes this for the family here. Number one, what does it mean to fear God? Because I think that's where a lot of the problems today is. You know, well, I don't fear God because I'm a child of God, so I don't fear Him. 
You know, that you I guarantee you, if you ask a lot of churchgoers, that's what they say. That's something they did in the Old Testament. But we read here when the word feareth, like we have here in verse 1 and verse 4, in, in the original language in Hebrew, it, it means a reverential fear and awe of God. Not necessarily, I'm afraid he's going to toss me into hell at every single moment. That's not what that means. Let's look at a few scriptures that deal with this. First of all, let's go to Job chapter 1. Job 1.1. 1, 1. And the book of Job begins with these words. In Job 1.1, 1, 1, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now we know the character of Job is was a, that of a very godly man. One of the godliest men who ever lived. And what is the word of God state about his character? He was perfect and upright. And key to this, he feared God and hated evil. That's one of the great characteristics of Job was that he feared God. He had a great fear of God. Uh, he, he revered God. He was in awe of God. That's something that we should never lose, my friends, if you're a believer. Always be in awe of God. Revere God. Don't take his name in vain by using it loosely uh, like we're often, you might see in a movie. Uh, that's not rever reverential toward God. In Genesis 22, in Genesis 22, we read an, uh, about another great saint of the Old Testament, Abraham. Genesis 22, in verse 12, and remember that Abraham was tested see if he would offer up his son to the Lord as a sacrifice. And, and before he could do that, the angel of the Lord stopped him. And, and what does it say in verse 12? Genesis twenty-two twelve, And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. The great compliment to Abraham was, you've shown you fear God. I mean, you were willing to give up your only son, your son for me. So his actions showed a fear or reverence toward Almighty God. And in Psalm 34, going back to the book of Psalms, Psalm 34, verses 7 through 9, we read, The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him, and delivereth them. O taste and see 
that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. It says the angel of the Lord encampeth or protecteth them that fear him, that fear God. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him, that is in God. O fear the Lord, we're commanded. For there's no want or there's no lack to those who fear God. Fearing God is shown to be a characteristic of a person who, who is trusting or has faith in God. Now, when we're talking about fear of God here, what we've looked at so far, we're dealing with believers. We're dealing with people who are believers, to saints, uh, that... It should be a characteristic of ours to fear God, to be in reverential awe of Him, to, to understand who He is and understand who we are. Now, how does this apply to unbelievers? It certainly applies to them, but in a quite different way, my friends. Uh, for Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, you know, people always stating, you know, I just follow Jesus. I don't follow that Old Testament stuff. All that stuff that threatens. Well, you're going to be. You're showing you haven't read the words of Jesus in the New Testament uh, when you start saying that. A lot of people have this view of Jesus that's not biblical because they haven't ever read the Bible or read the New Testament, read the Gospels. But what does Jesus say in verses four and five? He says, "I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body." And after that, have no more than they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. That's a warning to unbelievers. A lot of people fear physical death. Unbelievers. They may say they don't, but they do. Jesus saying there's something worse. There's something worse. For an unbeliever, you need to fear Him who can cast you into hell. Almighty God. And it should cause great fear on the unbeliever knowing that they are standing before a holy God in unrepentant sin that they, they are a lawbreaker, that the law of God condemns them. Their own sins condemn them. And they stand in their own righteousness, which is only going to condemn you because none of us have any righteousness apart from Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul tells us. And hell is only a heartbeat away. Uh, Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. Into God's hands. Fearful. You know, and Jonathan Edwards in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, probably the most famous sermon ever preached in the United States or North America. And he makes it clear if you've ever read that sermon uh, that every unconverted person that 
there in due time their foot will slide. In other words, he he goes on and states, I'm paraphrasing him, that the only reason if you're an unbeliever, you're not in hell right now is because of the providence of God. God is the only reason. You're one heartbeat away. You're like a spider on a spider web hanging over a fire. It could fall at any moment. You're in great danger. I will say that to you today. If you're lost, you're in great danger. Listen to the words of Jesus. Fear Him who can cast you into hell. Because of your own sin, it condemns you. Because you will not repent from your sins, from your law-breaking, and turn to Him. Now, for the believer, it's totally different as we see here. You know, I, I love the words of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 in verses 28 and 29 where the writer states regarding believers, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Hey, we should serve God with reverence, godly fear. Our God is a consuming fire. Even though we're saved, my friends, we should have a reverence, a reverential fear of God. I remember when I was in Washington, D.C. back in the 80s and was visiting one of these old, I can't think of the name of the church, it might be St. John's Church, I can't remember. It's one of those not far from the, the White House but it was where George Washington went to church. And, you know, you were given a tour, and there's a pew there. And on that pew is George Washington sat here. This was his pew that he sat on. And, of course, what am I going to do? I'm going to sit right there and say, I sat where George Washington sat. Why? Because, man, the founder of this country, you know, the man that many say is the greatest American who ever lived, I'm sitting where he sat in church right now. So you'd sit, sat there. There's a little bit of awe there. Wow, George Washington once walked in this place. Uh, and, and if you ever were given, of course I was given, we, I don't think they do it anymore, but this was back in the 80s where you could get a tour of the White House. And it was very impressive. And, and it was, this was during when Reagan was president. And, and it was, you know, it was kind of awe-inspiring. I'm walking, you know, in a place that's just, you know, the center of power in the whole world. And it brings a, you know, just a, 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 a reverential type, almost, you know, respect of where you're at. Well, how much more towards God, folks? You know, I think of, you know, John the Apostle, and he was called John the Beloved. We often call him, you know, the, the disciple that Jesus loved and when he was a young man. And yet, when you get to Revelation chapter 1, and this was probably, he was probably, I'm saying, he, I'm making guess, he was probably in his 20s when, during the Gospels. And when we get to Revelation chapter 1, he's probably in his late 80s, maybe 90s, I, I'm not sure. But in, in Revelation chapter 1, this is the same John. He walked with Jesus during his personal ministry, talked with him. And yet, what happened when he saw the resurrected and ascended Christ? The one he had saw 
you know, ascend back into heaven. And now he sees him again. What does it state in Revelation 1.17? And when I saw him, I went and hugged him. No. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Oh, man, that's beautiful, isn't it? So he, had, he knew Jesus. He had walked with Jesus. Yet, he, he also had that reverential fear of Jesus. He fell as his feet is dead, knowing this is the creator of the universe. And Jesus lays his hands on him. Fear not, I am the first and the last. Oh, how beautiful. We should have a great fear of God, my friends. Uh, out of love for him. And that brings us to number two. Why should we fear God? Well, for the unbeliever, if you're here today, it's because you have broken his law. Uh, none of us can keep the law. None of us can keep the Ten Commandments. We're outside of Christ, of him who is holy. And you are justly deserving eternal judgment. Proverbs 1.7 in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, the writer tells us these words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Look, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, of knowing God. Uh, you know when when you when you first were con when you were converted years ago, if you're like me, even though I'd been brought up in church, there came to a realization: Hey, I'm lost. I'm a sinner, and there was a fear that came upon me, a conviction, and that's not a bad thing. You need that if you're lost. It's the beginning of knowledge. That's the law convicting you through the Holy Spirit of your sinfulness. Now fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's why people mock the law. They mock God. They mock His Word. And they think it's all nonsense. And that's just their opinion or your opinion. Oh, my friends. You know, there was a man who lived... And did it all. I mean, he, he, he uh, by his own testimony, Solomon stated in Ecclesiastes that he didn't withhold any pleasure from himself. I mean, he did it all. He lived the good life. And yet Ecclesiastes, uh, I believe, is Solomon stating, if I could summarize it all, it was all for nothing. I mean, I, I, part, I, mean, I had it all. I had all the the joys, the pleasures of this world. And, and then he states in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, near the end of it, the last two verses, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. 
he summarized at the end of Ecclesiastes how that you know everything's vanity. He tried everything, you know, knowledge, pleasures. But he says at the end of it, here's what we should do. Fear God. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God's going to bring every work into judgment. There's going to come a day where every one of us, saved and lost, are going to stand before Almighty God. And your opinion isn't going to matter. It doesn't matter now. And every person, no matter who they are, oh my friends, we should fear God knowing that there is a judgment where we will all stand before Him. Now what are the results of fearing God? And uh, in Proverbs 14, verse 27, he says, the the not the psalmist, but the writer of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. In other words, the writer of Proverbs doesn't say that fear of God is a bad thing. Some people act like that's a bad thing. No, my friends. He says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It's a life-giving fountain that turns you away from destruction. That's why we all need it. And if you're lost today, you need that. I pray you have the fear of God. Uh, uh, that, you know, that it will come to you, that you to depart from the snares of death that is awaiting the snares of hell. And even for us who are believers, we need to keep a healthy fear of God daily. Because I know with myself, when I don't have that, I'm, I, I can be led into temptation. I can start thinking too highly of myself and revering my own self. Uh, it, it's good to continually throughout the day to have a continuous fear of God. I find, this is just me, um, I like to, you know, I do it under my breath at work or humming, you know, and y'all know, I've worked with people a lot that to sing hymns or praise songs. It, it helps keep God in mind of who He is and who I am. So if you see me at Walmart look like I'm talking to myself, I'm not doing that. I'm talking to God. Uh, but, but my friends, you know, seriously, uh, it's good for us to keep God in our mind all the time. Not to Look, the devil's throwing all these things at us He's trying to get us to focus on ourselves, to get offended, uh, to be distracted by all types of things, to take us into sin. But worshiping God and having a reverence of Him is not something we just do once a week, which should be seven days a week. And if you're lost, I pray, you're, pray you see yourself right now before God is a sinner justly condemned because you have broken His laws and that your sin calls for your condemnation. But I also will pray that you'll look to Christ. that Look to Jesus Christ who died on the cross for sinners and who says, Come unto me. 
in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Jesus performs a, a miracle here while they're out fishing. And, and you go, he tells them in verse 4 to launch into the deep and let your down your nets. And Simon, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not going to read all this. Simon basically says to him in verse 5, Lord, we've worked all night and we still hadn't got anything. But when they, had, in verse 6, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. When they did what Jesus said, it filled it up, it, their neck, the net itself broke. It was so. Uh, so great. In verse seven says, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were another ship, other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. Jesus performed a great miracle here. They that all of a sudden they were had plenty of fish, more than enough fish. And what was Peter's reaction? Verse eight and nine. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. Peter's awe of what happened causes him to have an awe and a reverence of Jesus. He, so much so, he says, Lord I don't need, need to be in your presence. I mean, I'm just not worthy to be in your presence. I believe that's true fear of God. Uh, I believe that when we see God someday, when we stand before Him on the day of judgment, it's going to cause all that we're going to be just like, I believe, kind of like John the Apostle, just fall at His feet, realizing who He is. It's by grace we've been saved from our own sins, something we didn't deserve. Here you are standing before him. John MacArthur's study Bible states regarding this with Simon Peter. says, Peter immediately realized he was in the presence of the Holy One, exercising his divine power, and he was stricken with shame over his own sin. That's true fear, my friends. That's true fear of God that we all need to have. And... Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 and 13 asked a question. He asked a question that, I'm, that we should all ask ourselves. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 and 13 He states, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. What does God require of you? Number one, fear God. Fear God. And I believe that's the key here. Fear God. 
to walk in His ways, to love God and to serve God. Now, one, the problem with all of us is we can't do this perfectly. The law ultimately points to Jesus Christ who did keep it all perfectly and died for our sins upon the cross. And he, he, he's stating, look to God. I heard there's a, I'm not going to name his name, but it's a, a, a so-called bishop in one of these liberal universalist churches right now who's dying. He's got terrible disease, cancer. He's in his life, probably could pass away any day. And I was listening to what he was saying. You know, he has a hope of heaven, but he says, you know, I don't fear God. And that put chills down my back. I said, well, that's not the words of a saved man. That's the words of a lost man. So sad. So sad to, to be near the end of your life and having those words. But the psalmist in Psalm, Psalm 128 says, Oh, the joy of those who fear God. It's a joy to fear God. Knowing that you know, having this or blessed, that we're so blessed because of this, because we know who God is and we also know who we are, that we're incapable of making it to heaven on our own. But having a fear of God leads us to Christ who took our sins upon the cross. If you're here today, and are unconverted, do not know Christ. Let me tell you, Christ died for sinners. He died for sinners. Turn from your sin today. Uh, fear God. Turn to Christ. Put your faith in Him and Him alone. Know that Jesus on the cross took the wrath of God upon Himself for all who believe upon Him. Uh, that here he suffered and died. He rose again three days later. And all who trust in him, all who are called and believe, have eternal life. I urge you to trust in him today. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh Lord God, help us to all have a reverential fear of you at all times. Oh Lord, help us never to forget who we are, that we are, Lord, by nature sinners, but Lord, you are holy. And through the atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ, all who believe upon him are forgiven. And I ask that any here or watching may be convicted through the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives of their need of Christ. And that they, Lord, that this fear of God will be a life-giving fountain unto them to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, I, I plead and beg this for any who are unconverted and help us all leave here, Lord, with a reverence in fear of you at all times and a love for you for the great mercy and grace you have given us. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh,
we're about to 